Men, do retain your seats and turn with me to the book of James. The book of James, and we begin the second chapter of the book of James. I'll begin reading from verse 1 all the way to verse 7 of James chapter 2. James chapter 2, I commence reading. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have disowned the poor man, and not the, rich, and not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the, the honorable name by which you are called? Let's turn our hearts to the Lord once again. Let's pray. We give you thanks, O oh God, for the gift of rain. We can hear the sound of it. And O oh God, help us to rejoice in the gifts but cause us not to forget the giver of all good gifts, who is you, the living God. We also pray now that as we turn to your word, may you grant us attentive hearts and bless the preaching of your word. We also ask that those who are joining us via live streaming and other platforms, that they too may indeed be blessed by the preaching of your word. Dear God and Father in heaven, we also ask that may your word be proclaimed authoritatively by the aid of God the Holy Spirit. We also pray that you be with us even as we open up this word and grant that the blessings and the lessons from this word this portion of the scripture will be ours and that they will even draw us closer to you in our work with you. May all of us, including the preacher, be blessed of your word for Jesus' sake. Amen. We are back in our study of the book of James and this afternoon we begin chapter 2. And as we've been going through the book of James, I've said and I repeat that James is seeking to show us that true faith shows itself in practical godly living. True faith shows itself in practical godly living. And as James is opening up this theme, his goal for writing this book, 
he deals with a number of issues and in all those issues his aim is to show how that true faith ought to respond in each of these situations. In chapter 1 he dealt with a number of issues. He dealt with the testing of your faith. He dealt with when you lack wisdom. He dealt with how to endure trials. And in all these things his goal is to show that how a Christian responds in any given circumstance of his life will be different from the way a non-Christian responds. Faith shows itself in practical godly living. And now when it comes to chapter 2 and uh, the first 13 verses, he basically wants to show that true faith shows no partiality. It shows no favoritism of whatsoever. And this is what James is trying to show in this portion of the scripture. Uh, and as he opens it up, he really wants every one of us to begin probing our consciences to this reality. This issue of partiality, and James gives examples of showing partiality to the rich and the poor, but there are many areas in which this aspect of partiality shows itself. It could be an issue of race, an issue of mental competence, and so James is basically saying this ought not to be true among God's people. They must not show partiality. A story is recorded of Mahatma Gandhi. It appeared in uh, our daily bread of 1979 in the month of February. And that story uh, was reported and I quote, when Mahatma Gandhi was a student, that's the famous Indian uh, leader, when he was a student, he considered, uh, he considered becoming a Christian. When he read the Gospels, he was moved by them. And it seemed to him that Christianity offered a solution to the caste system that plunged the people of India. And so one Sunday he went to a local church. He had decided to, to see the pastor of that church and ask for instruction on the way of salvation. But when he entered the church building, which consists of white uh, people, they were the majority, the ushers refused him, refused to give him a seat. They told him to go and worship with his own kind. He left and never went back. And this was his conclusion. If Christians have a, have a caste difference also, like the Indians, he might as well remain 
a Hindu. He said if Christians also do have these caste systems, like the people of India, he said he was better off being a Hindu. Now the tragic story illustrates the scene that James writes against in our text. He, James focuses on this scene, the scene of showing partiality to the rich and despising the poor. But his words, his admonition is applicable to all types and kinds of partiality. Whether, as I said, it is based on economic status, race, or anything else, James is writing and is basically saying God's people must have no form of partiality whatsoever. And he says his goal is that to show that to favor some people and to disregard others on outward factors is a terrible sin. And the church of Jesus Christ is not immune to this sin. And hence the need to, to be constantly aware and fight this sin of favoritism or this sin of partiality. And from the way James writes, it's, it's very clear that this was prevalent in the, uh, in the church in James' times. But also when we look through church history, we begin to see that this sin of partiality has plunged its, itself, its ugly head as it were, in every generation of God's people. Because it, it stems from pride. And this pride is endemic to our fallen human nature. And so the scriptures here are writing to us, calling us to, to this reality. And also showing us that this must not be something that is characteristic of God's people as they save and worship the glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we go through this text, you need to really set your conscience and see whether there is any form of partiality in you. And if there is any form of partiality, you turn away from it and begin to embrace the family of God's people, not just here at KBC, but beyond. So let's open up those four verses and begin to see what we are being taught. The first thing we see is uh, the, the, uh, that partiality is forbidden. We see the the prohibition of partiality being stated in verse 1. James is basically writing to prohibit partiality in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And we see here again, as James begins to deal with this issue of partiality, he addresses his audience as brothers. He's already done this 
three times in the first chapter. When you read chapter 1, you read in verse 2 where he writes, calling his audience as brothers. In verse 16, he does that. And then in verse 19, three times in chapter 1, he addresses his audience as brothers. And then in chapter 2, again three times, he writes addressing his audience as brothers, or beloved brothers, or my brothers. You see this in verse 1 of chapter 2. Again you see it in verse 5. And then you see it in verse 14. And James, as he's writing, he, he wants this to sink in to the people he's writing, that he's basically not writing as one who just wants to condemn what they are doing. But he wants them to know that as he's writing, he's writing to people that are dear to him, he's writing to a people that he's, he identifies with, he's writing to a people that are dear and a people that share the same faith as he does. But also as he's writing, he wants to be clear from the onset that he's addressing professing believers. He's writing to Christians, and as he's writing to Christians, he has the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to be direct with them and point the issues that are there. But also he has this pastoral concern as he writes. He's writing to people that are brothers and sisters in the family of God. But also he underscores that by mentioning this, this, this fact that show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is faith in Christ that brings all of us together. Whether our backgrounds may be different, what brings us together, that common denominator is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James now writes and saying, show no partiality. And those words, show no partiality, basically means to lift up or receive the face of someone. To lift up or receive the face of someone. And it conveys the idea of making discriminatory judgments simply on the basis of outward appearance. Distinctions based on outward appearance. And so, as James is writing, the Greek construction of his sentence has this nuance of basically saying, stop doing it. When he says, show no partiality, he's basically saying, stop doing it. And the construction there in the original language is basically giving us this idea that James is forbidding a practice already in progress. 
And so when he's writing, he's not being hypothetical. It's something that was showing its face one or the other in the church. And so he brings it to their attention and he says, observe what is is happening and stop doing it. He's writing to correct the problem before it grows and becomes out of hand. And when you get to verse 6 of chapter 2, you basically see that the, the audience were guilty. They were guilty of this same sin, as you'll see when James writes in verse 6, but you have disowned the poor and not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. And so James is basically saying that showing partiality as we hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, is inconsistent with the Christian faith. It is inconsistent with our faith. And as he puts the stress on Christ as the glorious one, James even wants to show that as you give this discrimination based on outward circumstances, what and then at the same time, you are saying to yourself, I save this Jesus, who's the glorious Lord and Savior of our souls, James is saying it is inconsistent with what you profess. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, came and died for sinners. And his salvation was not based on outward circumstance. It was that he came to the world to bring about salvation to human beings. And the lesson for all of us is that the Christian practice must be consistent with the realities of our Christian faith. Our Christian practice, our Christian conduct, must be consistent with the realities, with the truth of our faith. And if we are going to practice our faith, it must be anchored in in the scriptures and what the scripture says. And if it's anchored in the scriptures, then there will be this consistency of what we believe and what we practice. And here, James writes to us that showing favoritism, showing partiality is inconsistent with the Christian faith. That's not what the Christian faith is about. And that should not be the case with us. And so we see in the first place, the prohibition of partiality stated. But in the second place, we see the peril of partiality illustrated. The peril of partiality illustrated, verse 2 and verse 3. 
For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet. And now, James uses this illustration to cement his concern. He wants us to see the dangers of partiality. He draws a picture of two men entering the Christian assembly. And and the one there's one who's well dressed and his his, his fingers are, are covered with gold rings and then there's another one in shabby clothing and James is saying that if your attention is moved or drawn to the one who appears in fine clothing and, and rings and you begin to pay attention to him more than you are doing to the poor you are basically showing partiality. That the, the, the ancient world, particularly the, Greek, the, the Romans, would wear fine clothing and, and put on gold rings on every finger except the middle one. And some would even go to an extent of renting out rings if they wanted to show off. So that each finger would have rings, except the middle finger. And somehow that gave an impression of wealth. It gave an impression of doing well in society. And it gave an impression that for this person to have all these gold rings and fine clothing must come from a well-to-do family or from a wealthy family. And this was the culture of the day. It was accepted in that culture. But James is basically saying, picture this, a gathering of believers, a gathering of God's people, and when these two individuals walk in, one in torn shabby clothing and another one in fine sparkling or shining clothing, if the gathering of God's people to the rich or the one who appears to be rich and discriminate, then there is a problem. And James says in verse 3, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and then say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, then there is a problem. And the Greek expression 
that James uses, and if you pay attention to the one, it's the same expression that is used in, in Luke chapter 9 and verse 38. Now in Luke chapter 9 and verse 38, the expression there is the plea of the father of the boy who was demon-possessed. Remember the, the father went to the Lord Jesus Christ and cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was begging Christ. He said, I beg you to look at my son. Now that's the same expression as James uses here to say, pay attention to the one. Now the verb there renders not only a favorable look, but also the consequent assistance that follows as a result of that favorable look. So it's not just that this person appears in fine clothing, it's a fact that his appearance moves everyone in the assembly to do something and to show favor upon that person and therefore gives the person a prominent place so a good seat at the expense of the one who is in shabby clothing. And so, what James is saying here, that the rich, who is being pictured here, or illustrated here, becomes the object of considerable attention by virtue of his outward appearance, and therefore, he is given the best seat available at the gathering of believers. So there's this consideration that is given to him. And this consideration that is given to him is simply because of his outward appearance, not anything else. And therefore, he's given the best of seats. And in contrast, the poor man, in fact, he's abruptly told to stand over there or to come and sit at my feet, or at the feet. And so, you see what James is trying to show here. That one, his appearance, ends in the attention of everyone. While the other, his appearance, ends in the rebuke and the scorn of everyone. In fact, when James speaks of while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, the Greek text actually says, sit under my footstool. Or foot sit next to my feet. And the picture there that James is really showing is that to tell a visitor, who comes into your assembly that sit at my footstool or at my feet is a lack of respect for that visitor. And if you read this in the original language, what James is saying is that the people already in the assembly, they've got seats where to sit, but they've also got stools for their feet. And instead of giving the poor man a stool, 
they basically say, sit next to my stool. James is saying, you don't even offer them a stool. You're basically saying them to sit even lower than the stool where you're putting your feet. And he's saying, if this is the case, then it's a problem. Because that should not be happening in the assembly of believers. And this illustration communicates a lot. What James is saying, it is not in your place or my place to make distinctions between persons beyond what the Bible says about making distinctions. We need to be clear, the Bible does make distinctions in certain places, or the Bible does give allowance for how or when we should make distinctions. For example, the Bible is very clear on the distinction between those who are Christians and those who are not. Those who follow Christ and those who do not. Those who follow Christ in repentance and obedience versus those who are unrepentant and in, continue, in continuous sin. But also the Bible does make distinct, distinction of who a Christian should marry. The Bible is very clear a Christian should not marry a non-Christian. They cannot be equally yoked. The Bible is very clear that a Christian should not marry a fellow Christian of the same gender. And there we can make distinctions. Why? Because the Bible does make distinctions for us. Even when we are thinking of church officers, there are those qualifications that are given and those are the distinctions we make when we are thinking of those to serve in the offices of the church. But when we begin to go beyond the distinctions that the Bible gives us, we are actually sinning against God. Because God himself has not put these distinctions, but we are moving a, a, non, a step further and beginning to make these distinctions. We must not make distinctions where God has not made any distinction. And this is what James is illustrating here. That if you make a distinction between the rich and the poor because of their outward appearance, you are guilty of the sin of partiality and therefore you are inconsistent with your Christian faith which you claim to profess. And if we make these distinctions, we become judges. And judges with evil thoughts, as we'll be seeing in verse 4 shortly. And the lesson for all of us is that the church must be that one place where all these artificial distinctions are wiped out. 
It must be that one place where both the rich and the poor feel welcome. It must be that one place where people from all walks of life feel part and parcel of the church because of their acceptance by the Lord Jesus Christ. There can be no distinctions of rank and prestige when we are meeting in the presence of the King of Glory. Your status mellows into nothing compared to the, the glory of our King that we are saving. Your rank in society is nothing in comparison to the King of Glory. There can be no distinctions of merit when we meet in the presence of the supreme holiness of God. In the presence of his glory, of his holiness, all these earthly distinctions are less than, the, than dust. And our righteousness, as the Bible tells us, are like filthy rats in the presence of God. All men are equal because of Christ. So all these distinctions James is telling us are nothing when you are conscious of the fact that when we gather in the, in the assemblies of believers, we have come under the umbrella of the King of Glory who left the realms of heaven, walked this earth, died on the cross, and, now, and was raised on the third day, and is now in the presence of His glorious Father. Is in the presence of numerous angels doing his bidding. And that should bring about a sense of humility that whatever my status might be, whatever my rank might be in society out there, when I'm in the assembly of believers, we are one because of Christ. And I cannot even dare bring my status in this assembly because it just disappears when I think of the King of Glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what this means is that we must make it our goal to pray for every member of the church when we recognize that they, there's no special class of members that need more of our prayers than the others. We will use our church directory, whether you go through alphabetical or whatever it is, but you make it a goal to pray for each of your brothers and sisters. Why? Because you are one body and Christ the King of glory 
has brought you into one family. So we see what James illustrates by this aspect of partiality. In the third place, we see the practice of partiality condemned. The practice of partiality condemned. Verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James poses a question, and his question is an invitation to probe our consciences. The condemnation of this practice is put in the form of a question and James is expecting his immediate hearers and all of us to arrive at the same answer. And that answer is that there is no room for partiality in the assembly of God's people. Now, the rendering of this verse, verse 4, has two possible meanings in the original text. One is, is the first one is that you are, wavering, you are wavering in your judgments if you act like that. And what, what he's basically saying is that if you pay special attention or special honor to the rich, you are torn between the standards of the world and the standards of God. And therefore you cannot make up your mind which one you are going to apply, whether the standard of the world or the standard of God. That's one meaning. The other one is where James is saying you are guilty of making distinctions which in the Christian fellowship should not exist. You are guilty of making distinctions in the Christian fellowship which should not exist. And this second meaning is my preference because James goes on to say in the same verse that you are judges whose thoughts are evil. That's what he says in verse, verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? That's the question he's asking. And then he answers, and become judges with evil thoughts. And his concern really is, if you make partiality or show partiality or favoritism based on outward circumstances, what you are basically doing is that you are putting yourself to be judges. You become judges of morality, judges of what ought to be accepted 
in the assembly of believers. But the problem is that you are not using God's standard. You are using your own standard. And therefore, you yourselves have become evil judges because you are not being just. You are not being fair in your judgments. And therefore, you are as evil as any judge who does not show who shows partiality because you are guilty that you've based your judgment on the outward appearance of individuals and therefore your motives are not god centered but man centered your standard is not god's word but your preference and therefore you are guilty of partiality. And James is saying, when you do this, you have become evil judges. Because you, who have no rights whatsoever, are becoming judges and becoming the standard of morality and acceptance in God's assembly. And so what James is saying, this then makes you to be guilty of the sin of partiality. And if this is true, even among us, we must call it sin. We must not even use an excuse of poor hospitality. It is sin. Because we are showing partiality. And when we begin to make these distinctions, we begin to make judgments. And when we begin to make judgments, we are not morally equipped on our own to make any kind of judgment over one another. That's what James is saying. This is God's job. It's God who makes distinctions. It's God who makes discriminations. It is God who has the right to say, don't do this. Or don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It is God who has the moral fiber to do that. Why? Because it's his job. He's the one who created us. He's the one who knows our thoughts. He's the one who knows our minds. He's the one who knows what goes through our minds. And therefore God can see through our hearts. But ultimately... Is the only one who has the right to say what is accepted and what is not accepted among his people. We must see to it that in our midst there is no discrimination of any kind, no partiality. We must make no distinctions, whether nationality or race, mental 
competence, age, or any kind of partiality. We must be able to look at one another and see Christ in each one of us and therefore rejoice in God's salvation in our brother and in our sister. Now this may sound easy, but it's not natural because it goes against our natural self. And therefore, like any other sin, we must put it to death and embrace the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. The things of the world and human distinctions do not serve as distinctions before God. And therefore they should not be among God's people. Because our equalizer is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who brings us from our backgrounds, whether educated or uneducated, whether noble or not noble. He's the one who brings us from those backgrounds, reaches out to us in our sinfulness, washes us by the blood of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then brings us into his marvelous kingdom and gives us a family. And that family helps us to see that we belong to God and we are his children. And together we can worship him as one family drawn from all corners of our background. When Christ went to the cross, this is what he achieved for us. As Ephesians 2 tells us, there is neither no Jew or Gentile. We are one. The wall of division has been brought down. In Christ, we are one. And therefore, we must be conscious of this reality. Sometimes we can make discrimination between the young and the old. The, the, the unmarried and the singles. It's very easy for us to, to move our focus and our attention on the, the young marrieds. And begin to see them as, as the future church. As they begin to grow their families. It's easy for us to naturally go around them. And forget the elderly in the church. Forget the singles in the church. Forget the single moms in the church. Forget the single parents in the church. It's very easy. To make those distinctions without realizing it. James reminds us that discrimination of any form must be put to death and must cause us to embrace one another in Christ. Partiality is wrong because it usurps God's sovereignty. 
God is sovereign in all things. He's sovereign in the lives of the rich. He's sovereign in the lives of the poor. He's sovereign in the life of the educated. He's sovereign in the life of the uneducated. And when we show partiality, we usurp God's sovereignty. And this is why James is showing us it is wrong. And may KBC be a place where there will be no such distinctions. A place where we all feel at home. One body, one family. A place where we realize that making distinctions in the presence of the glorious King is inconsistent with our professional faith. Because the Christian faith does not give distinctions. Rather, it brings all of us and makes us as one body. Yet different individuals, but one body. And as we live as one body, with all our differences, we are sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world out there. Because for the world, it's not natural for people from different backgrounds to live as one. There are all these distinctions, the rich, the poor, there are all these distinctions, tribes, races, nationalities, there are all these distinctions. But the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must show that yes, we are people of different background, individuals from, of different statuses, but we are conscious of the fact that when we come together in the church of Christ, we are one body. And because we are one body, we embrace one another with all our differences, with all our challenges, with all our backgrounds. And as we do so, we show the world that the grace of God has enabled us to do so because we realize that the only reason why we are Christians is because of Christ who died for our sins. And this ought to be true of us as God's people. And as we go out there in this week, may this be true of us. But the only distinction we'll be willing to make is the one that God himself makes and is very clear in the scriptures. We will not create any other distinction that God does not create or that God has not showed us in his word. And as we do so, may we sing the words of the hymn we'll be singing in closing. Jesus commanded us to be a light shining out for all to see. So let my light shine that all may see the Savior in me and they too may come to know this Savior. And this light will shine if we show 
no partiality one with another. Amen.